That is a really good song to sing right before we continue a study on the Ten Commandments. Because we know that God is holy, and we just sang about His holiness. But we also know that He's called us to be holy and righteous and moral people as well. And the first time that we see God's moral standards written down was, uh, was whenever the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He etched them with His finger, and He gave them to Moses, and Moses brought them to the people. And we see these Ten Commandments as just kind of the basis of what God expects of us. Not ends in and of themselves. All of them, each commandment is just like a, it's just like a nugget of truth that we see that in the rest of the Bible uh, it, it grows and it's expanded upon. And we're going to see the same thing when we look at, uh, I believe it's the, the, uh, the uh, Eighth Commandment today. Um, I said this earlier in my prayer, and I implied this earlier in my prayer, about God being a giving God. God has given us so much. God has blessed us with so much. And you agreed with that with your, with your amen. You know that God has done mighty things and wonderful things for you. The best being that He sent His Son as a payment for our sin. That's a big gift. That's a big gift. That God would give His Son on a cross... As payment for your sin. None of you have ever given a gift that big. None of you will ever be able to outgive God in that way. Because of that one thing, that one act of God giving His Son to die on a cross. None of us will be able to outgive God. Our temptation, rather, is to think that maybe God hasn't given us enough. To, to sometimes think, well, uh, m maybe God isn't as good as I thought He was. I deserve more. I'm lacking some things in my life, and so I want God to provide for me. And we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about uh, materialism. I'm going to talk about materialism. It's going to kind of be weaved into some things that I'm going to talk about today. It's also going to be weaved into the 10th commandment that we're going to look at. Uh, that is uh, do not covet. We're going to look at that in, uh, in a couple of weeks. But just as I said last week, where there are two commandments that are related to the family, so there are two commandments that are related to um, how we combat the sin of materialism. And so today, I want to talk to you about hard work and generosity kind of as a, uh, 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 a way that, uh, I guess you would say, the, uh, the path to getting the things that we want is going to be hard work. Full-orbed um, Christianity is going to be seen in generosity. All of this is kind of the opposite of, of stealing, which is what we're going to look at today. But I'm going to weave in there just this, this idea about how materialism needs to be something that we don't need to get caught up in. Uh, this is one of the biggest struggles that we're going to face as Christians. How are we going to get the goods that we want, the things that we want, the money that we want, uh, the items that we want, the things that we think that we need in order to survive? And here's, here's a definition that I'll give you of materialism. And that is, it's an obsession with how I can get things for myself. That's what materialism is. It's an obsession with how I can get things for myself, or we could say how I can guard the things or how I cherish the things that I already have. And it's the illusion 
that these things that I want or these things that I have are, are, going to, are going to somehow bring me joy and peace. Or I guess we could say how they're going to somehow bring me lasting joy and peace. And here's the problem with materialism. Materialism is often accompanied by an elaborate plan. And it's not an elaborate plan for godliness, not an elaborate plan for serving the kingdom. It's an elaborate plan for how I can, how I can get things for myself. And the problem with that is that plan normally displaces God as the center of my life. Now, the worst sort of materialism that we can possibly imagine, this shortcut to getting these things that we crave, is stealing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we know that the real solution to materialism is not a commandment that I could give you from Exodus chapter 20, although it points us to the real solution. The real solution is, uh, to materialism is the gospel, where we cherish Jesus above everything else, where we cherish God's kingdom more than anything that we could possibly attain for ourselves. But let's look at this commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. This, uh, this, uh, this, this, the, the worst path of, of gaining the things that we need or, or, or getting expression to our materialism, the, probably the, one of the worst things that we could do is steal in order to get those material things that we want. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. You don't take things that don't belong to you, whether by force or by or or in secret. Now we know that stealing is an obvious problem among people and among not just our society but all societies. I mean there's just there's just going to be people out there that steal. It used to be a little bit different in our nation. How many of you remember a time whenever you could leave the house and not lock your doors? Anybody remember that time? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little young for that. I've kind of always locked my doors. I just there's something safe about it. And even, even though, like even my truck, I don't have anything in my truck of value, and my truck itself is not of value, even if I'm just going to walk into Dollar General for three minutes, I, hit, I click that button, and I lock my truck. How many, how many of you do that with your car? You lock it, no matter what, it's just an instinct. Every single night before I go to bed, true story, I have this routine that I go through. First, my children, I feel like they have to be tucked in and safe, you know, and, and in their rooms. And then before I lay down, I have to walk around and I have to physically check every single door. I have to make sure the garage door is down. I have to make sure my back door, deadbolts are locked. i got to make sure that all my doors are locked. And then also I have outside lights, and I have strategically positioned my outside lights so that I can see the maximum amount of my yard around me. You know, because this mob of thieves, of, of, of you know, armed thieves is going to somehow accost me in the middle of the night. And just to make sure I can see them coming, I have certain blinds that I leave cracked just a little bit. So if, if I need to sneak into the darkness of a room and kind of peek out, no one could see me, but I could look out and I could, I could see them coming, right? True story. I mean, I really do. Like, I lock all my doors. How many of you lock all your doors at night? Oh, now here's a better question. How many of you don't lock your doors? There's some of you that, there's some of you that live, you know, and, and, and you feel safe like that. But listen, thieves have gotten so much, more, so much more sophisticated. They don't need to kick your door down and rob you at gunpoint anymore. 
um, they can just steal your identity. So we have all this anti-theft technology. We secure our information. We have passwords on all of our devices. Um, and department stores, you know, they put those annoying little tags on the clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Like you go and you buy, uh, you, you buy something from Belk and you put it in your bag. They forget to take the bag out and you walk outside. And as soon as you walk out the door, woo, 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 and everybody thinks you're a thief. Um, companies will actually spend millions of dollars so that thieves won't steal millions of dollars from them uh, company-wide. It's interesting. Now, some of you are probably sitting there thinking in your mind, I don't steal, lesson over. Wouldn't it be great if it was that simple? Unfortunately, I do believe that there are some ways that we take some shortcuts that maybe we shouldn't do. So what are some of the common ways that we are tempted to take these shortcuts um, what, what are some of those ways? Okay, well, maybe some of those ways might be how we steal time from an employer by not giving an honest day's work. Or perhaps, uh, or perhaps it could be in the form of maybe cheating on our taxes or plagiarizing an answers on a test. That would be one way that, you know, if you're still in school, uh, you, could, uh, you could cheat by, by stealing answers on a test or taking a cheat sheet or whatever. Or how about this? Withholding something that is not yours, that belongs to another, uh, that is a form of stealing. So if you're an employer and you owe a paycheck, if you don't give that paycheck or if you delay that paycheck, that could be a form of, that could be a form of stealing. Having debts, having debts, being overly indebted and taking upon a debt that you have no intention of paying back. It's like saying, I'm going to take something with, promise, with a promise to pay, but I'm never going to pay it back. Those would be some examples. Or how about this, intellectual property. There are certain things that intellectually, from a legal standpoint, belong to other people, and you're supposed to pay for them, such as the CCL license, I think is what you call it, how we put songs on the screen, and we have to buy a certain license that basically gives us the right to do that. To not do that would also kind of be... Uh, a form of stealing. The stealing is obviously the worst sort of materialism. Uh, it's really, well, it's really satanic if you take Jesus' words in John 10, 10 seriously, saying that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Uh, that's a reference to Satan. So uh, no matter how small or large, legal, illegal, physical or not physical, if we take something that's not ours, either secretly or by force, is stealing. So, how are we to get the things that we need? If we're not supposed to steal them, then what is the honest? I, th I think that's what this command kind of begs the question. Do not steal. Do not steal. Well, then how do we get the things that we need in this life? And to me, this lesson is, this lesson is very simple. Uh, we work for it. I mean, that's implied in this command, is that we work for it. In fact, if we were to back up a couple of weeks and we were to look at the Sabbath command, we could see that there is this expectation that the Bible places upon us that we should work and that, and that we, should, we should work hard. In fact, 
there's also many places that we can point to in Scripture that we should take joy in our work. That our work shouldn't be a burden. That it should be something uh, that that we it should be something that we uh, that we actually uh, enjoy. God designed us to work. You know, I talk about Adam and Eve a lot because Adam and Eve and uh, and the the Garden of Eden is such a picture of the perfection that God created this world in, and ev- all the bad that we see in the world is because of sin. Do you know that work existed before sin entered the world? The Bible says, well, I don't have this for the screen, but if you were to go back and look in Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 2.15, the Bible says that God put the man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Adam had certain responsibilities, certain work that he had to perform in taking care of the Garden of Eden. He had oversight over this perfect place, and he was supposed to do a certain measure of work. We can see in Ecclesiastes several places where Scripture says, for example, there's nothing better for a man than that he should enjoy, the, enjoy his labor, enjoy the things that he enjoy, the, the work that he does. Uh, and also, I meant to say about the Sabbath command, uh, the Sabbath command talks about, um, um, uh, you know, how we should rest, but it also talks about how we should work. It's implied in the Sabbath command. Six days you shall do all your work. That implies that there's work that we're doing all throughout the week, all the time. God designed us that way. So here's what we see in the New Testament about how to get the things that we need rather than stealing them and taking them. Um, the, the New Testament clearly tells us that we should work. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, that's obviously a, that's, that's obvious, that obviously a standard that comes from Exodus 20 and the 8th commandment. Let the thief no longer steal. But then there's more encouragement. It says, but rather let him labor, let him work. Not, and, and not doing, not doing uh, dishonest work, but doing honest work. And sometimes I, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, a lot of people who steal, man, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of planning and a lot of work to do dishonest work like that. Well, the Bible says that we're supposed to do honest work, honest work with his own hands, but even that's not enough. We see an evolution. And, and really and truly, this, this verse right here is kind of an outline for my whole message. Don't steal, do honest work, and but then to get to where we really want to be, the Bible says that he needs to have something to share with anyone in need. You see, that's really where we want to end up, and I'll get there in a minute. But for now, let's look at this next verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through verse 12. The Bible says that we should work hard and that we should earn our own living, that we should pay our own way. And I love this verse because it says at the top, it says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There seems, there, there seems to be a, a, a movement in our society where people just want handouts. They just want the government just to, to kind of take care of them and just to, you know, to kind of, kind of give them the things that they need. Well, the Scripture says, if anyone is not willing, now I think that's important there, if you're not able to work, then I do believe that there's some assistance, both government and ministerial assistance, that we should give to people. But if someone's not willing to work, they're able to work, but they refuse to work, then the Scripture says, well, they should not eat either. 
Um, and he says, I hear that some of you are like that. You're idle. You're lazy. You don't work. Um, he says, you're busybodies. Now listen, there's a command is what he says to such persons. Encourage them to do their work, to do it quietly, to do it with godliness, and to earn their own living, to, to, to make their own living, to, 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 do, to, to, pay, uh, to pay their own way. First Thess- Here's another one. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. This verse shows us that there's actually a witness that we have as Christians whenever we're honest in the way that we work, that outsiders see it, uh, that work with our hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. This is important because other people see us on our jobs. I'm sure you work around people who don't know Jesus. They're watching you. They're watching to see if you do your work diligently, if you're a hard worker. They're also watching you to see if you do your work honestly also. And they're going to judge you as a Christian if you don't work hard and if you don't work honestly. And so we want to do that before outsiders. And I love this. Be dependent on no one. Be dependent on no one. To me, this is an important value that God has given to us, that we are to work in a way to where we don't have to rely upon others. We work hard. So will we be takers or will we be givers? Will we be providers or will we be dependents? Laziness is broadly condemned in scriptures. Uh, you can look at Proverbs chapter 6 and many others of those. Uh, this, is, this is an important value to work hard. Now listen, let me stop right there for a minute. This, I, I, honest, obviously, I believe that we should not steal. And I think it's very apparent from Scripture that we should work hard and, and, that, we should, and that we should enjoy it. However, if we stop there, we, we really haven't gotten to the full basis of what the gospel leads us to. In fact, If we're not careful, we can be just as materialistic as everyone else if the only thing that we do is, I don't steal and I work hard. There's there's really nothing especially Christian about that. That can lead to all sorts of pride and materialism, just like stealing. In fact, that form of materialism from a spiritual standpoint... Look at me, I've worked hard, I've built it up with my own hands, and I have everything that I need. And that, that type of self-sufficiency can be just as spiritually damning as if we were, as if, as if, as if we were stealing. And so what we're really looking for to combat thievery and materialism is generosity. Generosity. This is where we want to end up because this is who God is. We serve a generous God. When I asked you earlier in the service, and I said, aren't you thankful for all that God has done for you and all that He has given to you? And you said, amen. You acknowledge and you recognize that God has done great things for you, that He has paid for your sin through Christ. Many of you would acknowledge that God has given you a great job. God has given you a wonderful family. God has given you health and long life. God has... God has, God has blessed us. We could not even count all the ways that God has given to us generously. And so God also wants us 
to be that way as well. It's, it's not enough just to not steal and to work hard. If we really want to live out the gospel, we have to be generous. Why do you work? I mean, think about that for a minute. Why do you work? Some of you would say, well, I have to. <laughs> unless, unless I'm independently wealthy, I have to work. Oh, that's, that's true, you do have to work. But I mean, there's certain things that you do, and there's probably certain things that you work for. Why do you work? Is it just so you can get paid and be comfortable and get all of the things that you want and protect what is yours? Is, is that all? I mean, hopefully, there's got to be something bigger than that. There's got to be something beyond you as to why you spend all this time in life working not just at your job, but in all of your responsibilities. There's got to be something bigger than just, I want the material goods. Some of you say, I don't steal, that's good. Some of you say, I work hard, well, that's even better. But we're just not fully godly unless we are generous people because generosity is the direct result of the gospel in our life. I mean, the gospel is just a picture of God's grace. And I've told you what grace is. Grace is something that God does for us that we don't deserve. God has done so much for us that we don't deserve. God is a generous God. We see that as a picture of the gospel. And we live out the principles of the gospel whenever we say, I'm not going to steal, I'm going to work hard, but I have to do more than that. I have to be a generous and open-handed person. What if, rather than being preoccupied with all the things that we wish we had in this life and with all the things that we want to get in this life, what if we were preoccupied with how we could use all that we are to serve God in some type of way? Rather than dreaming about the things that I can get for myself, what if we had dreams of how we could be generous with all that we have so that God's kingdom could be served. So here's some commands for generosity that we see in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through verse 18 says, As for the rich, and don't you dare turn away just and think, Oh, well, I'm not rich. That doesn't apply to me. Every single person in this room is way more wealthy than the vast majority of people, not just the vast majority of people that are alive today, but the vast majority of people that have ever lived. If you don't believe me, go to Mexico, go to any place in South America, go to India, go to China, travel to some other countries. You will see great poverty all over our globe. We have a super abundance in our nation. The poorest people are some, are, are the people that are poor in our nation are still a lot better off than some of the people in other nations. So this is talking to all of us. This, this, is, for, this is for all of us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Look at me. Look what I have. Look what I've got. Look what I've looked for, worked for. Look what I've done for myself. Not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. See, that's what materialism does. We set our hope on the uncertainty of things that could be taken away from us just like that. One good ep economic crash, and all of us are in trouble. Uh, but it says, but yet, have our have our, our, our hopes on God who richly provides everything to enjoy. 
They're to be good, they're to do good, they're to be rich in good works. And look at this, to be generous and ready to share. And there's an investment in this because we store up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now these, this verse really speaks of generosity and sharing in general. That we're to be people that are open-handed and helping others. And, I, and, and the Bible tells us why. This next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6-7, through 7, says that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people who are generous. Why? Because it reflects His nature. It's a picture of the gospel. And it reflects His nature. And uh, I mean, we've used, we've used this verse before about being a cheerful giver. God was pleased to send Christ as a gift and a payment and a sacrifice for us. A very expensive sacrifice. He did that cheerfully. He didn't do that reluctantly. He's called us to do the same thing. Now this next verse is specifically about giving to God's work. I believe that our generosity and our sharing has to be much bigger than just giving to our church. Um, it, has, it has to encompass all of our lives. Um, but this is one of the verses that we look at that talks about being generous to God's work or tithing uh, to our church. And, you know, some of you, I asked, I asked before, or I said before, some of you probably thought, I don't steal lesson over. Well, the Bible really says if you're not tithing, if you're not giving to God's work, then it is a form of stealing. It is a form of robbery, and not between you and a human being, but it's a form of robbery towards God. You say, well, how about robbed you? And your tithes... And, and contributions or offerings. Now, this verse, even though it talks about how we're to contribute and to give, and for us in the context of a church, but just give to God's kingdom, we see God's generosity in these verses. I mean, think about it for a minute. God has given you 100% of everything that you own. He's given you 100%. He says, give 10% to my work, and then when you do, he says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessing upon you. I mean, that's pretty generous. God gives you everything, says, give 10% away to my work, and then I'm going to pour down blessings upon you. This verse, I know some people look at this verse and think, oh, it's so burdensome. I can't believe that God asked me to give 10% of what I have. No, God gave it to you to begin with. He, and he's given you 90% to enjoy. That's generosity. And then he promises to give you more if you're obedient. This is a picture of God's generosity. You know, I remember one time, this is a long time ago. I remember one time I got a small increase in salary, but I forgot to increase my tithe. And it, it turned out to be a small amount. I think it was like, uh, I think it was like $52 for the year. And I felt so bad about it. I felt, I felt so convinced. Oh, I can't believe that. You know, I've got I've to pay God back his, his $52. And I remember the Lord just showing me, look, I, I don't have a, a heavenly ledger where I'm keeping track of things. It's, it's, a, it's, about, it's about the heart. But then I also started thinking to myself, you know what? If I was $52 short on my, uh, um, on my groceries and I got to the counter 
and it was $150, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm $50 short. You think they'd just say, nah, it's all right, go ahead. Or if I was 50, if, if, uh, if the city of Cookville, you know, they, they sent me a letter and said, hey, you're $52 short. And I called them up and said, hey, my bad. They'd say, nah, don't worry about it. You think you could do that with your mortgage lender? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, your house would eventually be foreclosed on, your electricity would be cut off, and you would not eat. Uh, you have to pay whatever it is that you owe. And to me, we serve a generous God that He doesn't just strip salvation off of us if we come up a little short. Our God is so generous. He's so, he's so gracious. And not only that, but we have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want you to look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You can underline that in your Bible, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, in the heavenly places, and you would not be able to count all of the spiritual blessings that God has given to you. I want you to think, but so, so, so I said a moment ago, you, it would be impossible for you to, account, uh, uh, to, to make an account of all the material blessings that God has given to you. It would be impossible for you to recount all of the relational blessings that God has given to you. All of the earthly blessings that God has given to us. Sometimes they just happen and we just skim right past and we just take them for granted. And don't say, thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've given to me. And now here in this verse, God says, I, I've given you so much more than just earthly blessings. I've given you spiritual blessings. And we don't have time to look at Ephesians chapter 1, but it goes on to talk about how God has chosen us, how he's adopted us, how he's redeemed us, forgiven us sealed us, how he's given us wisdom and revelation and knowledge and enlightened hearts and hope. And those are just the few of the spiritual blessings. And these blessings are said to be eternal blessings, heavenly blessings. The blessing is not going to stop the day that we die. It's just going to keep right on going. And it's going to be so wonderful. Our God is so gracious. Our God is so open-handed. Our God is so generous. And He's called us to be the same type of people. He's called us to say, sure, if you're a friend, I'll, I'll lend you a hundred bucks. He's called us to be open-handed and say, you know what? I don't have much money, but I have time. You need someone to hold babies in the nursery? I can do that. I can go on a mission trip. I can, I, I can give of that. So, and, and, and maybe it's not time. Maybe you say, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of money, but I have a talent. I have something that I can do. I have some way that I can help a person or a church or a ministry or somebody somewhere. God's just called us to be like him and being open-handed and generous and giving. You are never going to outgive God Never. John 3.16 is proof. The Bible says God so loved the world that he did what? Say it. He gave. He gave his only 
son, you will never be able to give a gift that matches that which God gave. And it's not a competition. You're not trying to out, you're not trying to outgive God. You're trying to be like God. You're trying to give and share and be open-handed in the same way that that God was. And some of you say, "Well, it's it's hard to give like that. It's it's hard to be that open-handed." Can I tell you that the day that you got saved, you let go of everything. And you did it willingly, you did it consciously, and you did it on purpose, or you didn't get saved. You see, when you got saved, you recognized the payment that God gave on the cross. If you didn't recognize that, if you didn't see that, if you didn't acknowledge that there was a payment that was given for my sin, and it was Jesus, if, if, if you didn't acknowledge that and have faith in that, you didn't get saved. You didn't truly get born again. If there was not some type of acknowledgement of Jesus and Him being the substitute, He died for my sin. And let me tell you something else that, got, that, ha- that, that happened to you in the day that you got saved. Not only did you recognize the payment that God made on your behalf, but you also gave up and surrendered everything to God. You, get, you gave it all up. You said, God, everything that I have is yours. That's, that's, that's what you did. You did it consciously, you did it knowingly, you did it willingly, and you did it by choice. Or, or, you, or it wasn't real. You, you didn't really get saved unless you did what Jesus said. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, the payment for our salvation was made by Jesus on the cross. But that doesn't mean that there's not a cost. The cost of discipleship is the absolute surrender of everything. Everything. Sometimes Jesus talked about it like bearing, like taking up your cross and following Him. In the earlier verses of, of, of Luke chapter 14, He talks about hating father and mother and sister and brother and leaving all of that, and leaving all of that behind. In other words, not, not actually showing them hate, but loving God first, putting God first, putting God before even your own family. We see all throughout Scripture people coming up and saying, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me first go bury my father. And he says, no, you come follow me. Another one says, oh, wait a minute, I just got married. He said, no, come follow me. In other words, there was everything that you had. You renounced everything that you had. You recognized a beauty and a value in Christ, and you surrendered it all to God. And now what God wants to happen in your life is he wants you to, to now be a channel of blessing and of giving to others. There's a form of Christianity, I, I, I hesitate to call it Christianity, the false gospel called the health and wealth gospel that teaches you do what God wants and then God gives you all kinds of money and health. That's not what I see in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is I see people giving up everything. I see people like John being... Um, uh, being uh, um, Exiled to the island of Patmos. I see, according to tradition, I see disciples being executed on crosses upside down. I mean, we see all types of persecution and people being run out of town. And I mean, look at what happened to the Apostle Paul. There is no promise of health and wealth in the gospel, but there is the requirement that we should give up all that we have 
It doesn't mean that you have to go clean out your bank account and go give it away. That's not, that's not what that means. It means that you have to be willing to do whatever it is that God tells you to do with your time, your talents, your treasures, everything that God tells you to do when it comes to your job or your families or your kids or anything that He tells you to do. You say, you know what, God? Not just 100% of my money belongs to you, but 100% of me and everything that I am, my very soul, my very being belongs to you now. And God, you tell me what I can do to be open-handed, just like you are. You tell me what I can do to be godly and to give generously to others. So I'm going to ask us to enter into a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray some specific prayers. I want you to, first and foremost, I want you to pray a prayer of thankfulness to God. I've already, we've already prayed that prayer once in this service. And I... I hope that you can pray it with more intensity now as you realize all that God has blessed you with. I I want you to pray a prayer of thankfulness to God, thanking Him for all that He has done for you and thanking Him for all that He has blessed you with. And then I want you to ask the Lord how He would have you to be more open-handed and how He would have you to be more generous 